All right, um, Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. And they came to Jerusalem, and when he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribe and the elders came to him. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you authority to do them? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by where my authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John the Baptist from heaven, or was it from man? Answer me, and they discussed with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Then why don't you believe me? And we, shall we say from man? For they were afraid of the people. They held the, that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Father, we thank you. For this opportunity to be able to uh, come together and to hear your word. Lord, we thank you for the prayers uh, and the songs of the people. Uh, Lord, we uh, pray that you would open our hearts to your word as uh, the song we sing. Open the hearts, eyes of my heart, Lord. We want to see you. And that is our honest prayer as we, uh, as we come to you. Open the eyes of our hearts. We want to see you. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Just a, a disclaimer for uh, Evan, as you are uh, getting hotter and hotter in the sun, if there's a line probably right, right about here at 9.30, right where Natasha and Selah are, the sun will be right about here at 9.30. So um, when the, half of the Andersons are sweating and hot, uh, I know it's time to wrap up my sermon. So if you want right now, you can move a little bit, maybe in front of Andy and Emily. If you want to move in that way, uh, you can get some, uh, some shade. And this is just an encouragement to me to keep it at 20 minutes. Stop laughing, all of you. We are in the middle of election season, and as we see uh, Joe Biden and President Trump are going around the country, and as um, issues come up and hot topics come up, they have to be able to um, come up with an answer for how they, what side do they fall on. And what happens is, before any of them speak, uh, they carefully craft their answer, and if we say a answer A, then our constituents in these states, in this Rust Belt, in the, uh, the, um, the left coast, in the south, uh, they will respond this way and this way, and if we answer this side, we have to worry about will we get enough votes, and if we answer this way, will that senator who's on the ballot be able to get enough votes because of our answer? And so everything the politicians say, though sometimes we doubt, are carefully crafted and run through a long uh, channel of advisors who will tell them uh, what to say and what side they want to come out on that uh, because they want to win the election. And so what they say has um, consequences and what they say it matters. And I think we are often the same way. Uh, the answer that we give is an answer that's carefully crafted by who our audience is and who are we on. And we have a fundamental problem uh, is that, um, that's caused by sin is that often the answers that we give is because we don't trust God and we don't think, seek the things of his kingdom, things that are unseen and eternal, 
but rather what we do is we trust ourselves and we seek the things of this world, things that we can see, things that we can handle, things that we can understand, but things that are temporary and fleeting. We want to see with our eyes and hear with our ears and touch with our hands and comprehend with our minds. And often to get those things, what do we do? We turn to God and we ask those questions. We don't come to God to uh, glorify him and enjoy him forever. We come to God to get what we really want. Um, Power and fame and comfort and pleasure and security and worth. And sadly, the minute God doesn't give us what we want, we're overcome with bitterness or cynicism and hopelessness, and we find some other means to be able to get what we really want. Um, You call that idolatry. Uh, God is not our desire, but we desire something else, some um, other functional savior that will give us what we really want. And so, and sadly, Mark, as we have seen through these 12 chapters, is full of examples of people who are coming to Jesus with ulterior motives. Uh, the, the crowds were coming to Jesus that he could heal their illnesses and cast out their demons. The religious rulers were coming to Jesus that he would endorse them and uh, endorse their laws and traditions that they have built up, that they're benefiting from. And the disciples themselves wanted to be in the room where it happened. They wanted to be in the cabinet room and have places of honor when Jesus established his his kingdom here on earth. And none of them recognized Jesus for who he was, the anointed Christ, the Son of God, because their minds had misplaced desires that were blinding them. Often what we think we need is really what we want, and we can't see what we need. And Jesus knows what we need, and he's leading us, but often we are distracted by shiny things and things that we can see and that capture our imagination, but things that are not good for us. So what I want you to know today, my big idea is this. I don't have a PowerPoint, uh, but the big idea is this. The idol of power in this world blinds us to the wonderful work of God in Christ. The idol of power in this world blinds us to the wonderful work of God in Christ. And I pray that this morning as the whole, we speak and proclaim God's word, he would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good news of the gospel he brings. I don't have points because that's the sermon is one point. Uh, that was my one point, but I have some application at the end. Notice verse 27 and 28. They came to him again, and Jesus, as they was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority do you do these things? Who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus is well aware that the path that he is leading him is leading him into the belly of the beast, uh, where he will ultimately die and pay the ransom for his people. Earlier in Mark chapter 8, you have Jesus uh, was telling us, as uh, he began to teach them, the Son of God must suffer things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed, and after three days rise again. This was no surprise, this journey that Jesus is walking on that's leading him to the cross via Jerusalem and now in the temple. This was no surprise to him as the storm clouds uh, billow and grow stronger 
and darker around Jesus and the rolls of thunder in the distance, Jesus sees these clouds and rather than run the opposite direction, he goes directly into the storm knowing that his enemies are growing darker and more desperate and they will do anything to destroy him. And Jesus never wavers from the path that leads him into the darkness because he has come on a mission to pay the ransom for our sins. We have a new antagonist here in verse 27b. It says, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. A little background here. These three groups of religious leaders at the time composed the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is not a word that pops up a lot in Mark, but it, uh, you see it a lot in the book of Acts. It was a 71-member ruling council uh, who stood as mediators between the empire or the Roman Empire and the Jewish nation themselves. And these, the, those that composed the Sanhedrin were very powerful, priestly, and wealthy aristocratic families in Jerusalem. And they had un- incredible power, and they wielded that power with precision and skill in order to appease the Romans who would allow them to rule that, that area and maintain their status as elites in Jew, uh, Israel. Uh, they knew, and no, that's not the right page. And up to this point, the, they were most likely they were aware of who Jesus was. But to, him, uh, to them, Jesus was no more than a hillbilly preacher from backwater Nazareth. He was, up to, he was nothing more than a nuisance, and he possessed no real threat over their monopoly of the temple system, a system which their sacrifices and offerings brought them great wealth and great influence and great power. But now, Jesus' antics, as we see the last few chapters, are beginning to become a real problem to the Sanhedrin. His miraculous healings and his teachings around Jerusalem, his riding into Jerusalem uh, in a kingly fashion in the order of Solomon, his harsh condemnation of the temple. Jesus was becoming a problem that just couldn't go, wasn't going away and it couldn't be ignored and something needed to be done because if Jesus kept going the way he was, it would draw the ire of the Romans and it would risk upsetting the Sanhedrin's power in Jerusalem and something had to be done and they wanted to show to the people who really had the power and granted them the power, they had to show to the people that Jesus had no right to be teaching or acting the way he did. So most likely they send a delegation to Jesus and his disciples when he was in the temple. In verse 28, they ask, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to do them? Now, it's very easy to read the tone this. You might think of um, a British voice saying, who uh, gave you such unorthodox means to instruct your followers? Why do you choose to do it this way? But instead, these words were uh, words of exasperation. They was more like, what do you think you're doing riding into the temple like the promised king of Israel? Who gives you the right to pull that stunt that you pulled yesterday in the temple? The Sanhedrin was appalled about the presumption of Jesus to speak and act in the place of God. This was, this was nothing new to Jesus. And as Mark is slowly unraveling who Jesus, Jesus is, 
Jesus was a nobody in the eyes of the Sanhedrin, acting like he possessed some divine authority to do what he did. He had authority uh, in his mind to forgive the sins of the people and the paralytic. He says, rise, your sins are forgiven. He had authority to call tax collectors and fishermen to be his disciples. He had authority to redefine the Sabbath laws and authority to disregard the traditions of the elders that had been in place for many years. He had authority to declare the temple a fruitless and diseased tree. And they demanded to know who gave you the right. What do you think you're doing to disregard our teaching and our authority? But the problem was, the question that the Sanhedrin got, they were not sincere. Their dispatch to Jesus was to intimidate him into silence. Their goal was to ensnare him, embarrass him, and to discredit him, to shut his mouth, because they didn't like what he was saying. And it royally backfired in their face. Notice verse 29 and 30. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, one question. Answer me, and I'll tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven? That was a deferential way to not use the name God. Uh, but he says, is it from heaven or is it from man? Answer me. The stakes could not have been higher for Jesus. The uh, tension is growing in this narrative mark that will have a pinnacle at the cross. This tension is growing, and Jesus' answer couldn't have been better. <clears throat> Jesus quickly turns the temple on his, um, on his accusers, turn the table on the accusers, and he demands they give him one counter question first. And he says, John the Baptist, his baptism, was it from heaven or was it from man? And they stopped. And the Sanhedrin knew the teaching of John well. John came and he was preaching a baptism of repentance. Repent, change your heart. Uh, for the kingdom of God, is God. It is a pre prerequisite to forgiveness in preparation of the coming one. John's message of repentance was free to all. It did not require you to go to the temple. It did not require an offering. It did not require a, a, a sacrifice. It required a humble heart. Repentance for the Sanhedrin was uh, something that was dangerous for their system. Because repentance didn't require you to go buy an animal at the vendors from the temple and they got a cut. The repentance didn't require you to exchange money for the temple tax. John's message of repentance was free to the humble heart, but it was costly to the uh, Sanhedrin because it cut into their bottom line. Those, uh, and it made them less wealthy and it less powerful, and it turned the temple revenue services in a downward spiral, and they didn't like them messing with their bottom line. They knew that if John's message of, re of repentance was considered from heaven, then the temple would be obsolete. And they knew at this point Jesus is implicitly aligning himself with John. John says, I'm coming, prepare the way. There is one who is coming that will forgive our sins. Prepare and make yourself ready. And here comes Jesus waltzing into the temple, declaring the temple as a withered tree. Notice verse 31 and 32, and they discussed it with one another. They got their advisors, they got their uh, campaign experts, they got their focus groups. If we say from heaven, he'll say, then why don't you believe me? 
Why did you not believe him? But if we say for man, we are afraid of the people, for they all uh, hold that John was really a prophet. Like the strategists for Biden or Trump, the Sanhedrin carefully calculated their response. If they said from heaven, we'll have to admit the forgiveness and peace with God does not come from ritual sacrifices at the temple, but through a repentant heart. Furthermore, they would have to give Jesus, their opponent, a huge credibility boost as one whom Jesus foretold, and they knew that wasn't an option. And if they said for man, they would alienate their base, who believed John, and weaken their ability to maintain their power grip around the throat of Jerusalem, another impossible option. So they determined that the cost of answering the question was just too much. And so they refused to answer. And uh, John chapter, verse 33a, notice what it says. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And as religious experts, asking them a religious question, they didn't really look like religious experts or authorities, did they, when they say, hmm, we don't really know. Uh, but the reality is because they feared the crowds. The Sanhedrin refused to answer Jesus because they refused to let go of the idol of power and influence that they desired. They did not desire to know God and have peace with God. They desired to have power over God's people. What they wanted was safe and expedient more than was right and true. They had no interest in being a part of God's work of redemption that was unfolding in their midst, in their person of Jesus. Their only interest was maintaining their power and their comfort and their control. And Jesus knew it, and Jesus exposed them. At the end of verse 33, and it said, Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do this. They could evade Jesus' question, but they could not evade his judgment. Jesus would condemn and expose the empty religion of the Sanhedrin, but they would kill him because of it. Why is that? Because they didn't care about the truth. They cared about protecting their idols. We don't know was a lie that was motivated by fear, the fear of losing control. They desired, they desired control over their own life more than they submitted to, the, to King Jesus. How often, Ocean Park, do we do this? We don't want to follow Jesus for who he is and what he has called us to do because it would make us too uncomfortable. It may, may have to do something that goes against our political thinking. It may make us do things that bring us out of our comfort zone. It may cause us to um, have to give up our time, our money, our comfort, our, 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 our um, pleasure to be able to submit to King Jesus. Do we care about the truth or do we care about protecting our idols? They also feared the crowds because the crowds um, gave them what they really wanted, which was power. The fear of man hindered their movement towards Jesus. They desired to please people instead of the one true God. Their lust for power blinded them to the work of God in Christ. Just like every generation before them, so they ignored and persecuted the prophets. Salvation was standing in their midst, but their love for the fleeting idols of this world blinded them to the king who stood in their midst. 
Ocean Park, we are not immune to the idolist, uh, idolatrous temptation that the San, of the Sanhedrin. Let me ask you this. What is holding you back from following Jesus? Really, for those who we call ourselves Christians, but is it your desire to be Lord of your life, to call the shots in your life that is preventing you from truly following Jesus to get out of your comfort zone? Is it your refusal to honestly consider his claim over your life, over your thoughts and words and deeds? Jesus is comfortable on an hour on Sunday mornings, maybe not for the Pattersons right now, but, um, but for all of us in the shade, it's comfortable. Uh, but are we comfortable and we won't follow Jesus because Jesus might call us out of our comfort zone? Or is it that you fear men and the approval of men, your neighbors, your parents, your spouse, your friends, more than you desire the approval of God? Is it really, for those of you who are not following Jesus, is it really that you have not uh, had good answers to your questions? Is it really that Jesus is not sufficiently good and glorious and true and kind and loving? Or is it because you are paralyzed by the same fear the Sanhedrin had, the fear of men? What will my friends think? What will my family think? What will my coworkers think? They'll think I'm some Bible-thumping weirdo if I call myself a Christian. The fear of man hindered the Sanhedrin's movement towards Jesus, and the fear of others paralyzed them and would not allow them to follow him. Same way, Ocean Park, the fear of losing face, of losing power and position and prestige condemned them. Often, uh, I, um, I've had conversations with people in, as they struggle with their faith or if they follow, they f- to follow Christ, and I remember one conversation, and it was simply this, if God really does exist, and if I have to believe in God, I have to do what he says, so I don't, just don't know. And the reality is that God has revealed himself all throughout Scripture, through the prophets, through the priests, through the kings, but most uh, gloriously through his son, Jesus Christ. As we read through Mark, we know who Jesus is and what he has called us to do. Ocean Park, be honest with yourself today. How much of your hesitation and your doubts and your unanswered questions are really your fear of losing control over your life? of the cost socially and culturally and relationship and financially over your life. Look once more into the face of Jesus. Listen once more to the words he spoke. Watch again how he calls the unlovely. How he ponder once more how his claim to be God, be willing to come to Jesus, and the end result will not disappoint. Shall we pray? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come and and to hear your word. Father, I pray that your spirit would work in our heart and, and impress on us the reality of the fact that we desperately need a Savior. And we know that, and that's why we chase after functional saviors, idols, whether it be pleasure or power or substances, whether it be denial or comfort, or security, or our work, our identity, our education. We chase after functional saviors, and we know they cannot save us. 
but we cling to them like the Sanhedrin clung to their power because it was comfortable to them. And when Jesus threatened their idols, they killed him for it. Father, this morning Jesus confronts us and says, who do you say that I am? If I am the Son of God, if I am the only Savior, the only name under heaven where we can be saved, then you must follow me. If you don't know Christ this morning, I pray that you would follow that call to repent of living for yourselves, your allegiance to yourselves, and follow Jesus. It would be my joy to tell you what it means to follow Jesus at the completion of the service. For those of you who are nominal Christians, who have been playing around with religion and morality, uh, but it's not a, an important part of your life, you throw an hour or two to, to, towards God, and hopefully that will appease him more than others. Pray that we would humble ourselves and submit our, all of us, all to Jesus, I surrender. And for those who are following Jesus, May it be a daily process of repenting of our self-sufficiency in following Jesus, that we may enjoy God and glorify him. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray, amen.